0: You're listening to another episode of The Zag soap here. Conti- excited to continue our series featuring NLC alumni from across the country who are doing important and inspirational work on the COVID front lines. Today we're joined by 2016 NLC New York fellow. Hernan Martinez is here. We'll catch up with him. You'll definitely want to hear what he's working on. It's very exciting. And without further ado, let's get to it. <music> Ernan, are you from New York City? Uh, yeah, Queens, New York, born and bred. So the last couple of months, as someone who's been there a long time, must have been pretty wild, and and it's probably even scary at times. What's your latest feeling about how things are looking in the city?
1: Um, I mean, it's it has been scary. It has been uh, nerve-wracking to see that we're in the epidemic, you know, center, um, and that. Most of the communities that are being most impacted by uh, the coronavirus here in Queens are majority Black and Latino communities uh, or immigrant-based communities. And Corona, where the epicenter exists here, um, used to be my old neighborhood. So it's kind of close to home for me on that personal level.
0: Yeah, I think what sounds like being is also personal work for you right now, too, is trying to uh, support and and help specific uh, populations that are suffering more than than others with the coronavirus, and specifically working with uh, youth that are in juvenile facilities. Give folks a little bit of the scoop on what you're trying to do.
1: Yeah, for sure. So my work, um, and I'm fortunate to still have work. Right, is working around the country to close youth prisons and reinvest that money in community alternatives. So. Prior to this pandemic, um, I was already actively doing that work at the Youth First Initiative. Um, And all that this pandemic has really done for us is elevated the issue further of the need to close prisons, but more importantly, to get young people out uh, as soon as we can um, and really elevating the fact that young people don't belong in prisons, that prisons aren't a solution to the problems that our communities are facing, and that young people deserve more than just sitting in a cell uh, behind bars, that they need love, they need opportunities, and that they need a space to heal. And this current crisis is really just highlighting the overwhelming need to really um, reimagine a world where no prisons exist, where a young person shouldn't you know, just be sitting... Um, being deprived of their freedom and ultimately also at the mercy of this virus. Um, so it's a really important uh, topic for me, you know, just to talk about young people uh, in general. But I spent some time incarcerated in New York, and so I can imagine I can imagine how young people are experiencing this uh, at this very moment. So then what
0: pushback do you get from people? Because what you just described, I think, is, is right on. It's very uh, pragmatic, but also very morally correct. So when people argue against it, what do they say?
1: Uh, when people argue it against it, um, they're usually talking about the young person who maybe committed some of the more serious crimes. And don't get me wrong, I I completely understand people, uh, understand people's knee jerk reaction when they say, "Well, what about the kid who shot somebody or robbed somebody or even raped somebody?" Right? Like these are not light terms. Um, these aren't things that I say lightly. I, I understand that there is. Um, A demographic of young people that might in some way or another uh, be causing harm in a community. And ultimately what I uh, try to really highlight for people is the need for us to remember that these young people are young people at the end of the day. Some of them are living in some of the very uh, tough circumstances that our communities have been sort of creating for them. And oftentimes some of those circumstances have uh, been there long before they ever, ever came into existence. And One of the other pushbacks that we get around closing youth prisons is, well, we close them, Hernan, where are they going to go, right? If we don't have a place for the ones that are um, actively maybe getting into trouble or committing crimes, um, if we don't have a jail cell to put them in, then where do we put them? And ultimately, what we say to that is, well, can we rethink the ways and the uses of prisons around the country, right? Like prisons have historically shown um, z- very little uh, in terms of progress in terms of uh, young people and their ability to change. Um, they haven't historically upheld healing or transformative uh, sort of efforts uh, long-standing, right? Like more often than not, young people go in, experience the justice system, get very little support, get very little access to opportunities, come back out, commit another crime, go right back in, and become lifetime recidivists. And I benefited a lot from having been in prison and having met the person who turned my life around. But I always say the same thing, which is, why did it take me going to prison for anybody to learn that I was struggling, that I needed help, that I needed you know, somebody to believe in me? The person who believed in me in there ultimately didn't see me as... Um, Uh, a gang member or someone who had committed a crime. He saw me as a human being and prisons uphold uh, this cycle of violence over and over. And I want to reimagine a place where we can think about uh, helping young people, maybe, yeah, putting them in a place where they can think about the mistake that they made and hold themselves accountable, but not in such a retributive or punitive way. When
0: we come back, we'll talk more with Hernan about this incredibly important issue. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of The Zag.
1: We'll be right back.
0: And what I'm hearing you describe is, yeah, the value of, of wraparound social services, the value of restorative justices, practices. I'm curious, how worried are you knowing just the giant holes in budgets that will happen as a result of coronavirus? And I could also now see people trying to uh, say no to what you're proposing just based on the cost of providing services. This won't be there. There won't be enough money to fund the work to do that. Uh, what kind of future do you see, maybe say in the next six to 12 months with that reality being that the counties, cities will, will be so strapped for cash?
1: Well, um, you know, let's keep it real. In New York State, uh, the last time I heard, um, it cost $450,000 a year uh, per kid. So one mm-hmm. kid per year, that's how much it would cost to incarcerate them in New York State. So right now we might have maybe 70 plus young people uh, sitting in an upstate facility, the facility that I was at, which is called Brookwood Secure Center. So if we do the math, right, for 150,000 times <laughs> 70, we're close to 31 million uh, in terms of dollars that we could use to really support those young people, uh, maybe put them through college, possibly like maybe create some transitional housing, create a whole bunch of infrastructure um, that will support young people, right? So There is money and it's sitting, um, uh, trying to keep the lights on in prisons all over New York state. Um, I I, I always laugh at that particular uh, sort of pushback. It's like the fiscal (laughs) argument is very clear, right? Like we could save a ton of money by just redirecting uh, resources that we're currently using to keep these lights on in facilities and or to essentially keep people employed on the back of, you know, black and brown children. And ultimately, utilizing that money to better assist them and their families um, in the communities where many of us are also living in, right? Like these are taxpayer dollars; these are our dollars being used to just warehouse kids and essentially set them up for failure. So, knowing that the prison industrial complex is
0: what it is, and built uh, on racist principles and white supremacist principles, and now has just a lobbying machine, whether it's prison guards or or developers or things like that. How would you suggest or advise other folks who want to support you on this issue who aren't necessarily in your sector exactly, but are in other sectors? Maybe they're electives, maybe they're in policy or law. Like, how would you want them to support you to see this through?
1: Yeah. So, you know, for everyone who listens to this, if you are in, you know, this sector in particular, the justice arena, whether it's in the legal end, working in the system in some capacity, you have a voice, you have a ton of power to be able to really radically change the conversation and narrative around how we help or support young people in their communities. If you're a physician, you know, there are platforms now that have been created actually as a result of COVID-19, where physicians have come together and acknowledged the need to advocate on behalf of young people who are currently incarcerated. And so if you're in the healthcare industry, there are a ton of platforms now, uh, that exists nationally as well to sign up to do that. If you exist in the business industry, in the marketing industry, there is an important need for us to work together to figure out what job opportunities or other opportunities can we create so that young people have a means of income, a means of being able to increase their own economic opportunities and really um, shift the way in which society ultimately, uh, regularly uh, and punitively treats young people who've already touched the justice system to begin with. And so there are a number of hiring, you know, practices that can be shifted in the business realm. There are a number of things that other companies and industries can do to just elevate the issue further. And the other thing is, you know, just getting involved in, in empowering and mentoring young people in your communities, right? Like that's an active thing that I always say to people, especially for us at the NLC community. When I first came into NLC, it was an opportunity for me to learn for myself but ultimately, I met some really wonderful people, some of whom are still, know, I'm close friends with right now. Um, NLC provided me with a with a new space, uh, somewhere where I didn't have to just be the formerly incarcerated kid, but somewhere where I could be myself. And I think for all of us who are doing this work, we just that's all we want. We want a space to be able to be to exist where we're not being demonized for our past mistakes and where we see our future. Brighter than the one we were in, and everyone in the NLC community can support that by just really getting involved. And if you really want to learn more about some of these platforms too, you can go to nokidsinprison.org dot org slash covid nineteen, and all of our resources too for Youth First exist there, and different ways that you can get involved, not just in New York City and New York State, but across all fifty states as well.
0: Listen, thanks so much for for all your work. We'll definitely check out that site. And make sure to put that in the description of this episode. And thanks everyone for listening to the zag make sure to catch all our past episodes we've dropped a lot in the last couple weeks we have a whole set of folks who are working on the front lines of covid check those out we also last week dropped a bunch of episodes with educators to celebrate teacher appreciation week you can find all those episodes at the places you go to get your podcast soundcloud spotify stitcher they're all there make sure to check them out and until next time we'll catch you soon